There is nothing save the selfish heart of man that lives unto itself. No bird that cleaves the air, no animal that moves upon the ground, but ministers to some other life. There is no leaf of the forest or lowly blade of grass but has its ministry. Every tree and shrub and leaf pours forth that element of life without which neither man nor animal could live. And man and animal in turn minister to the life of tree and shrub and leaf. The flowers breathe fragrance and unfold their beauty and blessing to the world. The sun sheds its light to gladden a thousand worlds. The ocean, itself the source of all our springs and fountains, receives the streams from every land, but takes to give. The mists ascending from its bosom fall in showers to water the earth, that it may bring forth and bud. The Desire of Ages, page 20, paragraph 2. God is good, and all the time, say it again, God is good, and all the time, I thank God for life. Between the morning service and now, thousands of people all over the world died. Am I telling the truth? Oh, yes. It might be fitting for us now to ask ourselves, why am I still alive? It is because God has given you and me an extended opportunity to do what is right in His sight. God never gives a man or a woman more time to sin. He never does that. He gives us more time to stop. Can you say amen? And so I thank God for life. I really do. You know, I've heard people say, God does not perform miracles today the way he did in the days of Jesus. You know, God is a God of miracles. He led the Israelites through the wilderness 40 years. Six days a week in that time, he sent manna. And the fact that it fell six days and did not fall on the Sabbath, that was a miracle. How could it fall six and not on the seventh? Every night, he sent a pillar of fire because it's cold in the desert in the winter or in the night. Every day, he sent a cloud to shield the heat of the sun. Every day, he sent water from a rock. God works by miracles every day. The problem is we don't see the miracles. What did Jesus say when those who benefited from the feeding of the 5,000, they found him on the other side of the lake? He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, even though I did it right in front of your eye, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. There are many people who joined the church for what the church can do for them materially. The church will help me with school fees for my children. The church will help me pay my rent. The church will help me. That's not why the church exists. The function of the church is to point out the fact that you are controlled by sin and there's a way to break that power. And so God works by miracles every day. For those of you who are scientists, doctors, physiologists, whatever, you know how many steps is requir are required to do that? Have you ever studied muscle contraction? Huh? An action potential, how it is generated? All the micro steps. 
And if one step fails, you are in trouble. Are you following me? God works miracles every moment of our lives. Do you know what it takes to hear what I'm saying? To see me? I am told by the experts, we see not with these, we see from the back of the head. I thank God for being God. Can you say amen? Ah, God does not get the credit he deserves. He just does not get it. You know what Jesus said? They hated me without a cause. Everyone who dislikes God has no reason for it. That's how terrible the carnal nature is. It does not need a reason. It is just a silly, self, uh, a suicidal way to think, the carnal nature. They hate me, says Christ, without a cause. We have cause to hate the devil, but we hate God. <laughs> it's, you know, in the legal system of this country, perhaps in other Western countries, there's something called acts of God. What is an act of God? A hurricane, a flood, an earthquake. There are no acts of Satan. Are you following me? Yeah, it is he that produces all these things to cause chaos, yet they're called acts of God. And uh, Well, let me know why I'm saying all of this. Sometimes I feel if you ask four little children to pray, to whom do they pray? Jesus. They don't pray to God the Father. We train them that way. That Jesus is nice and loving, which he is, but the Father is harsh. So children do not pray to the Father. They pray to lovely Jesus. And I often wonder, Father, how do you feel? When little children are taught that Christ is sweet and loving, but unconsciously they, they assume that you are harsh and so... Even adults pray to Jesus. I listen with much agony of soul, and I hear people stand in pulpits, Ah, Father, this is this. In your name we pray. They pray to Jesus. Anyway, I don't know why I'm saying all of this, but I just want you to know, you serve a God who sent Jesus. Are you listening to me? God had to find a way to save us. He worked it out by sending Jesus. And Jesus came to say, look, you see the way I am? That's the way the Father is. All right, let me leave you alone. How are you? How was lunch? I enjoyed it. I didn't eat a lot, but I enjoyed it. And once again, I thank God for this high honor of being with you. The final time today, my desire is to represent God by presenting the truth as clearly as I possibly can and allowing the truth to do its work in your lives. As usual, I want you to use one of these, not a phone. If a phone is all you have, okay, I grudgingly allow you, but my preference is the Bible. My second favor is that you ask God to put his words in my mouth. What text is that based on? Jeremiah 1.9, which says what? Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. And the third favor I ask is that you think 
Isaiah 1 18 come now let us do what reason together saith the Lord in Mark 12 from verse 28 the Bible says and one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he answered them well the scribe listening to Christ reasoning he reasoned the Bible is a book of evidence not proof and so you reason, but when we reason under the guidance of the Holy Ghost, we arrive at the correct conclusion. And so I ask you, under the power of God's Spirit of Truth, think as you listen. I welcome those listening to us via the internet or watching. I don't know exactly what your capability is, but may the Lord bless you as you join us in spirit and study His Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am your servant and I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ to show mercy upon me by granting me a measure of your spirit. Father, you know my heart. I want to lift up the truth. I want people to see what a nice person you are, a sweet God, a loving God, a long-suffering God, a God who says in Ezekiel 33, verse 11, as I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. A God who tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9 that he's not willing that any should perish. A God who has informed us in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, he will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Father, as I lift up truth, dear God, help me, I pray, and let the power of the truth break down the Jericho walls of stubbornness that surround any heart listening to me tonight. I offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Let God's people say, Amen and Amen. I have no particular title. As I meditated on what to say, I remembered that you call this SAS. What does it mean? Sabbath, Sabbath afternoon study, which has replaced AY, I suppose, or part of it. And so I made a change in my original intention, and I will present a message that is, uh, I don't want to say targeted to the young, but it targets everybody. By the way, let me comment briefly on this matter of young and old and the separation that occurs in the church. Do you know there's a prophecy in the Bible that young and old will come together? And behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart, come on, of the father, where? To the children. And the heart of the children, where? To the father. Before Christ comes, young and old will enjoy each other's company. Mm -hmm. When all ages are led by the same Spirit, we all enjoy each other's company. And this business of there's the young, there's the old, there's the in-between, that will go. I don't see a model for that in the New Testament at all. Perhaps it is, I've never seen it. And so what I'm about to say is for everyone. Let's go to Daniel 8. We'll read from verse 13. Daniel 8, reading from verse 13. But before I proceed, let me thank my brother Miguel. Where's Miguel for coming this afternoon? Uh, God bless you. You told me yesterday you'd come and you kept your word. Is there any other guest among us? You're not a Seventh-day Adventist. Anyone else? Where? Keith. Where's Keith? Keith, raise your hands, please, Keith. Where's brother Keith? Did he slip out to the 7-Eleven? Where is Keith? He's where? Oh, well, that's Keith right there. 
Oh, Keith. Hi, Brother Keith. How are you? Good to see you. Okay, good to see you, my brother. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else visiting? Okay. What book did I say? What chapter? Reading from what verse? The Bible says, Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host, finish it, to be trodden underfoot? Now read verse 14 without looking. And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. I did say without looking, my lovely sister. Now, let me tell you why you must know that verse without looking. Listen to what Ella White writes in the Great Controversy, page 409, paragraph 1. The scripture which above all others had been both the foundation and the central pillar of the Advent movement was the declaration unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. She identifies Daniel 8.14 as the foundation stone of our present truth theology. All present truth springs from Daniel 8.14. And he said unto me, say it with me, look up, say it. And he said unto me, come on, unto 2,000 and 300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. This was one part of the vision that Daniel could not understand. He had received a vision in chapter 2. He received one in seven. Most of that he understood. But the part of the vision related to the little horn and his activities and the 2300 days, Daniel could not fully grasp. Let's go to verse 15 of Daniel 8. Read with me, and it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning. Then behold, they stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. We'll go over that again. But this time, how shall we read? Microscopically. And that's no joke. If you read the Bible closely, the Spirit will open your eyes to see things you will miss if you just go water skiing over the Bible. We must read microscopically. Now, let's go to verse 15. And it came to pass, when I, even I, Daniel, had done what? Seen the vision. He saw it. Keep reading. Come on, keep reading. And sought for the meaning that, behold, they stood before me as the appearance of a man. Now, Daniel said he did two things in verse 15. What's the first activity? He sought a vision. Activity two. He sought for the meaning. I looked up about 15 different translations, perhaps more. I believe almost all of them said he tried or he sought to do what? Understand. Now here's why I said initially that my presentation may target the youth, but then I extended it to everyone, because until, as long as you're alive, you're a student. Can you say amen? amen. All right. Daniel said, I tried to understand. People write me all the time, what does this mean? What does that mean? 
And with great politeness, I write back and say, have you studied it? Have you tried? Do you understand you are depriving yourself of the privilege of having God show you something by simply asking someone, what does this mean? There is a place for that, don't misunderstand me, but we need to understand Bible study is hard work, and it takes time. Mm -hmm. None of us wants to give the time, and so we find a shortcut. So we ask somebody, what does that mean? What does John 11.35 mean? Because we won't study it. What does John 11.35 say? Just two words, the shortest verse in the Bible. Uh-huh, okay. Daniel said, I sought for the meaning. Now, when you read the words, I sought for the meaning, tell me something about Daniel's attitude as he tried to figure out this puzzle. Say it again. He studied, tell me something else. Hmm? He was determined, tell me something else. Come on, tell me something else. He did not give up. He what? He searched. He certainly did. He did what? Interpreted. Okay, have to interpret the facts. Ah, who said that? I like you. God bless you. He persevered. But despite all his efforts, what happened? He came up short. Now, while Daniel was trying and persevering and interpreting and searching and studying, who was watching? Jesus or God? (laughs) God is watching this man try to understand the vision that he gave. Listen to verse 16 now. Read with me. And I heard, come on, read verse 16. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, what? Gabriel? Now, when was that, when were those words spoken? Let's look at the sequence of events. What happened first in verse 15? He saw the vision. Are you following me? Next event, he tried. Next event, he heard this voice. And next event, What did the voice say? Come on, you read it. Make this man understand the vision. What does that have to do with you? How many of you are in school? May I see your hands? All right. Are you trying your best? Don't answer me. You're taking calculus. Listen to me carefully. Have you, like Daniel, done what? Come on, what does verse 15 say? Have you sought for that to understand calculus? Have you sought to understand physiology? Did you drop out of physics because you did not seek to understand physics? Have you given up on engineering because you just can't get math? My question to you is, and via the internet, my friends, we like Daniel must be able to say, Father, I saw the assignment and I what? Sought for the meaning. I tried. Because God will never study for you. When Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus, he said to those nearby, roll away the stone. You can do that. But you can't raise him. 
So I'll raise him. After Jesus raised him, he came forth. What did Jesus say? Loose him. Remove the grave clothes. In between this divine act were two human actions. Roll away the stone, human. I raise him divine, loose him, human effort. We must be prepared to do everything we can. Then, someone read my mind and finish my words. God steps in. Many of us, we wallow in failure like a pig in mud because we have not gone to the limit of what we can do. Desire of Ages, page 535, Ella White writes, What human beings are empowered to do, divine power will not do. You can study, God will not study for you. But when you have reached the limits of your efforts and your ability and your talents and your skills, God honors that. And Daniel heard someone say, Gabriel, make this man to understand calculus. Make that student from Bakersfield to understand biology. Make that man who has gone back to school in his 50s to understand the principles of accounting. Make that woman who has decided to enroll in nursing to improve her earning potential, make her understand basic anatomy and physiology. Why? Because, Gabriel, I have seen her try. Make this man to understand division. Now, let's take a more microscopic look. Who is Gabriel? You're too slow. Who is Gabriel? The highest angel in heaven. Desire of Ages, page 693, paragraph 3. The mighty angel who stands in God's presence, occupying the position from which Lucifer fell, came to the side of Christ while Christ was in Gethsemane. This was the man, not the man, the being who took Lucifer's place. Now, since he's the highest angel, who alone can give him a command? God. Are you reasoning with me? No little angel can give Gabriel a command, and they're little angels. When I say little, I mean their power is not that great compared to Gabriel. Get, like, don't misunderstand me. And I don't want the angels to get angry with me. But compared to Gabriel, there are lower angels who do not have Gabriel's authority. When Gabriel came to Zacharias, the father-to-be of John the Baptist, and he told him he'd have a son, Zacharias said in verse 18, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, Luke 1.19, I am Gabriel. Do you know who I am? I'm not some, you know, angel that goes to the supermarket. I am Gabriel. Why are you questioning me? That stand where? In the presence of God. That's the one who was told, make this man to understand the vision. Now, who told Gabriel that? God. Listen to the words spoken to Gabriel. Make this man to understand the vision. Seven words now. Combine those words, what do we have? Listen to the voice. Gabriel, if you add the word Gabriel, then it's eight words, but leave out Gabriel. Make this man to understand the vision. What do we have? A command. Whoever said that, blessings upon you. We have a command. Now, here is the scenario. Here is Daniel. He tries. 
He comes up short, but his effort is regarded as perfect. Ah, you didn't hear me. In the eyes of God, that was a perfect effort. It was all he could do, but he came up short. Now God tells Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. It was a command to Gabriel, which means Gabriel had one choice. What was that? Obey it. Uh, I'm talking to myself. Are you listening? Gabriel had to obey. How did that benefit Daniel? He had to find a way, finish my words, to make Daniel understand. Daniel was not trying to understand for his own benefit. He represented God's people. He wanted to know when will God's people be released. What is this power that will contaminate the sanctuary for 2,300 days or years? He's not just himself. He's thinking of his people. Because Daniel occupied a high position, he was not suffering the way the others suffered. And God honored that man, and God commanded Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Now, let me add something to that. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay. And they're inseparable, knowledge, the facts you accumulate, wisdom, how you apply them. Which means, listen to me carefully, students now, any subject you study except crime, look for God. One person said amen. This is discouraging. I said any subject you study, finish it, look for God. Listen to what the Bible says. Isaiah 6.3, the whole earth is full of His glory. What's the glory of God? The character of God. God's amazing grace. Page 322, paragraph 2, the glory of God is His character. Now the Bible says, the whole earth is full of His glory. Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. So whether you look up or you look around, you see evidence of God, which means in biology, there's evidence of God. The whole earth. Are you with me? In physiology, there's evidence of God. So when you study, my young brothers and sisters, don't make the pursuit of a grade your number one priority. Make the discovery of God. Now when you do that, ah, God likes that. God will jump in as your tutor. Not to study for you, but to sharpen your mind, and get, because now your study becomes a spiritual activity. I'm not entirely convinced you're all following me. Here's why it's important for your study to become a spiritual activity. Mind, character, and personality, volume 1, page 34, paragraph 2. What did I just say? What volume? What page? What paragraph? All right. Here's what Ellen White writes. Listen carefully. As in the case of Daniel, in exact proportion, as the spiritual character is developed, the intellectual capabilities are increased. You missed it. I've been talking to myself all afternoon. Let me say it again. 
listen carefully, in exact proportion as the spiritual character is developed, the intellectual capabilities are increased. What she's saying, as you grow spiritually, your mind grows intellectually. Which means it is a catastrophic mistake to put aside the Bible to make more time for physics. You may pass, but you affect your mind negatively. Now, why should you not put away the Bible for the sake of physics? Listen to this expression. Christ's Object Lessons, page 125, paragraph 3. What did I just say? Who's writing down these references? Two, three, okay. Here's what it says. Listen carefully. If the follower of Christ, listen carefully, will believe his word and practice it. Give me another word for practice. Obey. Well, obey is what I want him, that's good. Let me say it again. If the follower of Christ, and you all are, will believe his word, receive it into the heart, and practice it, obey what it says, there is no science in the natural world he will not be able to grasp and appreciate. Which of the sciences gives you a headache and a hemorrhoid and a heartache? Huh? Physics? Microbiology? Listen to inspiration. If you accept God's word and you obey him, it increases your capacity to understand science because the role of science is to reveal God. Somebody say amen. And so God said to Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Gabriel had no choice. Now you would think Gabriel will come and study for Daniel. No, 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 no. Let's go to chapter 9 of the book of Daniel. We read from verse 1. Daniel 9, verse 1. I hope my friends listening via the internet, you're still with us and have not fallen off to sleep. We hope you're still with us. We are here in this building in Bakersfield enjoying God's Word. If that's true, say amen for our friends online to hear us. All right. What chapter did I say? Reading from what verse? 21. When you found it, say amen. Read with me. Sorry, verse 22. Now, verse 21, someone's got the wrong verse. Verse 21 of chapter 9. Yea, whilst I was... Speaking in prayer, that's it. Even the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being made to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Now listen to verse 22. Nice and slow. And he informed. Stop. When you inform someone, what are you doing? Uh, you're telling them information they didn't have. And he informed me. Come on. And talk with me. Come on. And said, oh, Daniel. Finish the verse. I am now come to give thee what? Skill. Ah, I have come to sharpen your marbles. Mm -hmm. Not to study for you, but to touch this, that when you go back to the assignment now, success will be the result. My brothers and sisters, the mind was given to us to comprehend God. Not completely, 
canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? Of course not. But as much as we can about God, we must try to understand. Because the more we know God, the more we love God, the more we see ourselves as nothing. And needing God. And so Gabriel said, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. What are you studying? In the school where you attend? What are you studying? You don't have to tell me. I'm trying to get at your motivation. Well, let me ask. Raise your hands, those of you in college. Let me see your hands again. You're in college. What are you studying? Nursing. Why? That's fine. You took too long to answer. That's fine. God bless you. Give you an attractive wife, but you took too long. Somebody else? Somebody else? Who's in college? Who's in college? One person in Bakersfield in college? One? Ah, where? Oh, what are you studying? Why? Too long. Somebody else? What should the answer be? To glorify God? Mm -hmm. To serve God as a nurse, to serve God as a biologist, to serve God as a chemist, to serve God as an architect, to go God as an agricultural expert. Whatever the line of study, the Bible says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or study nursing or study biology or study gardening or study cooking, finish the verse. Do all come on to the glory of God and there are no exceptions to that verse. You need to understand the fundamental motive for doing anything must be first the glory of God. I love to ask young people, why are you studying what you study? I get all kinds of answers. I almost never hear for the glory of God. Almost never hear it. I was in a certain country on the face of the earth, and I saw a lady. I'd known her before. I go to that place quite often. How are you fine? How are the children? Oh, they're doing well. I said, oh, really? She said, yes. She said, one is married, one's about to have a child, one finishes master's. They're doing well. I said, you never said anything spiritual about them. And she went quiet. The spiritual side did not play in at all. They're doing well in the eyes of the world. You got a master's, you have two more children, you have another husband, you're doing well. So I said, what about the spiritual? And she just looked at me. We have to change the way we think. Your presence in that classroom is a spiritual activity. As you study how gas is transferred from the alveoli to the bloodstream and what physical laws are required, look for God. As you study how we all breathe unconsciously, particularly at night. Even during the day when we don't make conscious decisions to breathe, we just breathe. How does that happen? Think of God. The Bible says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. We have one mouth, two ears. Think of God. Why did God give us two lungs? Why not one broad lung covering the back? Why two? Why not one big nostril? Why one? two? And so you look for what's the spiritual reason. When you do that, your mind is always above. Listen to Ellen White. Child guidance, page 45, paragraph 3. 
The whole natural world is designed to be an interpreter of the things of God. Give me that reference. What did it say? The whole natural world. Give me an example of the natural world. Trees. Mm -hmm. Come on. Water. Uh -huh. Air. Yes, David. Flowers, yes. The sun, mm-hmm. You. You and I are part of the natural world. We are the height, we are the crowning work of creation. And Ellen White writes, the whole natural world is designed. When you hear the word design, what comes to mind? Intelligence. But for something to be designed, someone must think. Does design come accidentally? How does it come? Deliberately. In other words, she's saying God deliberately puts spiritual lessons in all of nature. That's why a Christian should go through the entire day thinking about God. You know, the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day. When we try to remember things, we use what is called mnemonics. Are you following me? What is a mnemonic? What is a mnemonic? What? Something in your brain? Well, it, it has to do with the brain, yes. What's a mnemonic? Who has ever studied music? Where's the lovely lady who played the piano? Where is she? Oh, what's your name? Kelly's a good name. Kelly, have you ever heard of every good boy deserves fame or fudge or whatever? That's studying the treble clef, am I right? E-G-B-D-F, that's how you learned it, the treble clef. That's called a mnemonic. It's a device to help you understand something. Are you following me? All right. Do you know God uses a mnemonic? The Bible says, and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant. Dan, uh, Genesis 9, 14, 15. The covenant says, I will never send rain again to destroy the earth. Not that God needs it, but God sets examples for us. So God has a mnemonic to remember his covenant. I will not destroy the earth by a flood, and the rainbow is that. Now, right now, there's a rainbow somewhere on the earth. Are you following me? Right now, it's raining somewhere. Right now, lightning is flashing somewhere. So this mnemonic is always in God's presence. Not that he needs it, but he's an example for us. Now, you and I need a mnemonic to remember the Sabbath day. Hmm? That mnemonic must work on Tuesdays and on Wednesdays. Now, let's look around the natural world. What's on your feet? More shoes are made of what? Leather. Where does leather come from? Where do animals come from? They were made by whom? On what day? Six. <laughs> are you following me? On what are you sitting? On what are you sitting? What is the back of the pew made of? Where does wood come from? On what day were trees made? The third day. That's your mnemonic to remember the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath celebrates all of that. Are you a person? Say yes quickly. All right. <laughs> When were you made? Six and eight. What day celebrates that? The Sabbath. That expensive coat you're wearing or shirt. Let's say it's made from wool. 
Where, do, where does wool come from? Where do sheep, when were sheep made? The sixth day. The sixth day? Yeah, animals on the sixth day. Unless you know a different sheep I know nothing about. <laughs> Look around you and give me an example. Look around. You give me an example now. A mnemonic. Come on, give me an example. Light. Okay, light. When was light made? First day. When is, how do we celebrate that? The Sabbath. Give me another one. Air. When was the, the, the firmament made? The air? First, second day. Water. When was that made? Separated dry land from, from water? The second day. Or the third day. What else? What do you see? Let's say you're outside now. What do you see? What's in the sky? What moves across the sky? A bird. When were they made? Fifth day. When do we celebrate that? The Sabbath. What do you walk on that says do not walk on the grass? Not sand. You can walk on the sand. Stay off the grass. When was grass made? Third day. When do we celebrate that? The Sabbath. What are you wearing on your eyes? Glasses. What are the lens made of? Maybe glass. Okay. What is glass made from? Sand. Sand comes from the bay. When was part of the solid world made? The second day or the third day separated the dry land from the water. My brothers and sisters, God designed the entire world is an interpreter of the things of himself. So when you are studying biology, history, which is prophecy fulfilled, even accounting, this is tithe, this is offering, whatever your column and mine. Look for God. When that is your motive and God sees you've done your best, now God can say to Gabriel, come on, talk to me. Make this man to understand calculus. Because he is studying it. Why? For my glory. Child guidance, page 46, paragraph 3. Ella White writes now, but the first quotation was page 45, paragraph 3. This is page 46, paragraph 3. In the natural world, God has placed in the hands of the children of men the key to unlock the treasure house of his word. The unseen is illustrated by the seen. Divine wisdom, eternal truth, infinite grace are understood by the things that God has made. Perhaps we don't understand Daniel Revelation because we need to study it under a tree. Amen. And so today, I appeal to my young friends. God has given you a mind to comprehend Him. There is no subject higher than studying God. Amen. Higher than calculus, higher than statistics, higher than astrophysics, higher than you name the subject except theology. God has given you and me a mind to grasp things connected to him, eternal things even the angels do not understand. Use that mind for God's glory. Regardless of the subject that it in, 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 uh, occupies your time, look for God. In that approach to your studies, your motivation will change because it's no longer the pursuit of a grade. It is the pursuit of the knowledge of God. The grade will come. And remember, like Daniel, do your best. Excellence is Christian behavior. Not just singing hymns. 
and wearing a long skirt, drinking soy milk. Excellence is Christian behavior. The Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it how? With thy might. Then it gives the reason for there's no work, no advice, no knowledge, no wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. The Bible says you're heading for your grave. Life is not a rehearsal. It's the real thing. Do the best you can. And the foundation of your effort is this. As a means of intellectual training, the Bible is more effective than any other book or all other books combined. Councils for the Church, I believe it is, page 207, paragraph 6. Let me say that again. As a means of intellectual training, the Bible is more effective than any other book or all other books combined. I recommend to you the study of God's Word as the foundation on which every other branch of study should rest. Do well in your nursing, my brother, and be a nurse that points people to Christ. Do well in your biology, my friend up in the balcony, and be a biologist whose conduct points people to Christ. Do well in whatever. And keep in mind, your motivation for what you study is the glory of God. And secondly, the blessing of your fellow man. Historical Sketches, page 285, paragraph 4, Ellen White writes, Every youth should be impressed with the fact that he's not his own, that his strength, his time, his talents belong to God. It should be his chief purpose in life to glorify God and to do good to his fellow man. Let me say that again, then I'll close. Every youth should be impressed with the fact that he's not his own. That's literal. He bought with a price. That his strength, his time, his talents belong to God. It should be his chief purpose in life to glorify God and to do good to his fellow man. How many of you will say, Father, in all that I do, help me do the best I can. Can I see your hand? The best I can. In school, out of school, at home, wherever, stand with me. And we'll pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Before I do, is there anyone in school, you're struggling, you like prayer. You're struggling in school. Can I see your hand? All right, that's honest. God bless you. You're struggling in school, you like prayer. All right, you learned a lesson from Daniel, so you know what to do. Do your part, God will do his. All right, heads bowed, eyes closed. Dear God, we thank you that the word, the Bible, is a preparation for every area of life in the school, in the professional realm. I ask you in the name of Jesus, dear God, if I have spoken badly, forgive me. And I pray that something I said will remain on the minds of those who heard and listened with honest hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, dear God, who sat among doctors, hearing them and asking them questions, and they could not even understand that 12-year-old boy because he studied so faithfully. I pray that you bless the mind of everyone under the sound of my voice. Bless the students, Father. Let them seek your footprint and your fingerprint in every subject matter they undertake. Those at work, help them to do their best, because doing the best applies not only to the classroom, but to the office. Help parents to be the best parents they can be. Help preachers to be the best preachers they can be. 
But regardless of our area and direction of effort and excellence, Father, let us be guided and tempered by our motive, which must be the glory of God. Ah, Father, let us hear in our souls the words, Gabriel, make this man, make this woman to understand this or that. But Father, remind us we will only hear those words when we have sought for the meaning and done our best. Bless this church, dear God. I didn't have a chance to meet the pastor wherever he is. Place your hand upon him, protect him, bring him back to his flock, dear God. Grant him wisdom from above that he may lead this church forward and upward. Bless the assistant pastor, bless the elders, bless the leadership, bless every member, Father. Let people in Bakersfield stand on the sea of glass because of this church. I pray in Jesus' name, let God's people say amen and amen.